0: Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis.
1: Hey folks, we get guest suggestions a lot for this show and we're so thankful for that. I'm especially thankful because it makes my job on this project much easier. That being said, one of the most requested guests has been David Gronoski, and I'm excited to have David on the show today. David is the host of a great radio show titled A Neighbor's Choice. Listening to an episode sent to us from the Bob Murphy show that he was on, I wanted to hear more about what he has to say. Right. We'd rather serve right. God than right. Right Caesar, you yes. know I mean? Right, I'm just trying to right. live what he says. So, before we get started, why don't you give us a little background of yourself, just in case, like, I'm pretty sure the majority of our listeners are going to know who you are, but just in case there's someone listening that's not familiar, just tell us a little bit about yourself, whatever you want people to know about you, and then we'll get into the topic.
0: Yeah, well, I do the daily radio show, A Neighbor's Choice, and we got a flagship station, Tampa Bay uh, News Talk Florida, and that's drive time from 4 to 6 p.m., but it's also live on video stream, and we get banned for talking about science and stuff, the fascist book, and CCP YouTube and all that. They don't like us. <laughs> but uh, we, we have a great time with them. We're growing on Rumble live stream. we getting a lot of people clicking and watching our stuff there. That, that's YouTube's loss whenever they do that. So that's the radio show, which is also on podcast. And I do that every day, Monday through Fridays, four to six. And then I do my online only podcast on the same feed and I titled my feed David Gronoski because I was like, I don't know. I got a Neighbor's Choice radio. I got things hidden, and then I got these one-off shows that I do that don't really fit into things hidden or a Neighbor's Choice. So I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to put my name as the title of my show, and that'll help people find it hopefully. And it's, I guess, worked so far.
1: That's funny because I because I remember whenever I was trying to find you, I was looking up a Neighbor's Choice, and it just wasn't popping up. So finally, I use Spotify. So. I t- just typed in your name. Oh, there it is. There's, there's all I need to know.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe I made a mistake. And I don't know. I got to figure that out again. But the Things Hidden podcast is the anthropological show we do where we get into, we, we do a deep dive on uh, current events through the lens of anthropology, going back to primitive religion and archaic society, ancient uh, history. And, you know, I'm not a historian or anything in a in a trained sense, but I try to pull from history and myth to help us understand what happened in history, because Jesus was kind of like a big meteor that hit the earth, and it blew up the old order, and we don't have memory enough to understand what happened. So we think that the way things are are just the way things are. We don't understand how they're deeply impacted by what Jesus did in history. You know, when Jesus was walking the earth, you know, he said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, you know. And the first in his time were the people who were the aristocrats and the Roman uh, leaders and the rich and those who were in league with the rulers of his own people. And the last were the people who were the lepers, the poor, the beggars, the handicapped. And so, you know, when he's saying that, uh, there was a, a Greek style or, or a Roman style amphitheater not too far from where he lived in Nazareth, where they would have done uh, games with wild beasts, you know, and things like that. So if you're the first in Jesus' day and he wanted to go by the theater, you know, the first would sit at the best seat in the house meaning you're at the top of the hierarchy. And if you were the last, if you were a handicap or something, the gods hated you. You were cursed. And so you would be lucky if you weren't thrown into the den to be devoured by the lions for the crowd to laugh at your intestines. That's the reality that Jesus walked into history, and we're worried about the things we've got to deal with. Not to say that the things we have are not problematic, But it's more like welcome to history, welcome to the reality of what most humans have had to deal with. And it's because of Jesus that we have more concern for the individual and the victims among us and the disenfranchised and the poor and the handicapped. So I just say that to say, look, 2,000 years later, you go into a movie theater. We don't go watch people get torn apart anymore. We watch a simulation of it called a movie. That's our new amphitheater before the pandemic destroyed that ritual. But if you go into the theater, the best seats in the house are reserved not for the governor, but for the handicap.
1: Yeah, that's, 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 interesting. that's an interesting. He's got the
0: eye-level view, and it's so sacred 2,000 years after Jesus said, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. It's so sacred that if the theater's packed and the movie's already started five minutes in, and people are still trickling in, and there's no probability... That all that whole row of handicapped seats are going to be filled. So you can take it and don't worry. The odds that there's going to be, you know, 10 handicapped people showing up at this late in the game is probably, you know, the probability of that is very low. But people will look at that whole row of handicapped seats. No one's going to take them. No one's going to kill you. And they still won't sit there. Why? Because we are haunted by the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. That's how much in just that little glimpse of, the amphitheater that he, he said that sentence walking by and the amphitheater 2,000 years later, we have started to become more concerned with the least of these. And that's because of his impact and what he did, you know, because he, he blew up the whole machine of ancient religion. And that's kind of where we're at today. You know, that's why we're in this mess that we're in where uh, we're haunted by victims. and And my whole thesis is basically that We are going to continually see political correctness um, and people breaking apart and having schisms over perceived injustice. The more we refuse to heed Jesus's call to desire mercy, not sacrifice. Right now, people want to do mercy via sacrifice. So I'm going to force you to take a medicine because I got to save your life. So I'm going to have mercy on you, but I'm going to use sacrifice by forcing you to be excluded as a pariah from society if you don't take this product. So that's mercy via sacrifice, but that's not what Jesus says. He says, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. He says, do not resist evil with violence. And so we are more prone to be aware of our victims 2,000 years of Christianity infecting our bone marrow, so we see victims here and there and everywhere, but we can't agree on who the victims are, and we can't agree on who the, on who the monsters are. You know, the gun rights, people say the gun owners are being scapegoated. The, the African Americans, you know, some, some of the left-wingers believe that they are the ultimate martyr and scapegoat of our times, and the Trumpsters say that they're the pariah and the women, and then you got the stop Asian hate, and everybody's vying for the perch of being the most supreme martyr. Everybody's looking at the cross, and they're trying to get on the cross themselves without the pain, of course, right? They want a postcard crucifixion, you know what I mean? You ever go to those uh, tourist shops where you put your face in and uh, the, the cutout, and you get to look like the character or whatever? So that's basically where we're at today. We've got a cross crucifixion painting, and there's a little cutout hole, and everybody's vying to get up on the ladder and put their face where Jesus' face is and say, look at me, because I am this identity, I am the sacred victim. I have the power. Because see, there's something that was unleashed when Jesus said, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And meaning in the act of being perceived to be rejected, you gain power. And that power can be used for good or evil. And that's what everybody's trying to do is they're they're trying to tap into that martyr's purse that Jesus presides over history because they covet that victim status because they know it's innocent. They know it's holy because he's truly innocent and he's the ultimate victim, but he's also the ultimate overcomer of victimization. But they want to use the perception of I am the ultimate victim because of my identity as a means of getting power and violence. That's why those thugs that that, that went off to Afghanistan and spent $2 trillion had to continually tell us we were doing it to get women to be third wave feminists in Kabul. They had to create this narrative that I'm just doing it for the least of these. Do you know what it's like to be a tranny in Afghanistan? Come on. That's why we got to spend one more trillion dollars on this whole campaign. Because if you give us another trillion, we're going to teach them Foucault and we're going to teach them all this stuff. And these guys are going to have salons and hell, maybe they'll even start using some of their own opium more often and we'll be able to create a perfect paradise of third wave postmodern French uh, <laughs> philosophy in Afghanistan, that's the kind of stupid stuff they they sell us. Some of the mid level managers of the execution of these wars believe it like a mark Milley, that's a mid- level manager, you know <laughs> that's the Burger King manager he's not the owner you know he's just a, just another guy. but these guys they some of them believe in this stuff, but a lot of them are just using it as a narrative to sell good old fashioned sacrificial violence that Jesus came to end. So they're trying to smuggle. It's like a Trojan horse. They come as a victim. Oh, I'm just trying to help babies. And then they, bam. Oh, actually, you were just helping Raytheon. You are just helping Boeing. You're just helping your bureaucracy.
1: It's so interesting to me. I don't, maybe it's not interesting. It's disturbing to me how Christians will buy into this narrative too. We're helping these folks by dropping bombs on their children. And Christians will buy into this. Well, yes, we're helping them, but we have to kill them first. You know, I mean, how can you make that even make sense? And you talked about this a minute ago, and I think you, I think it was on the, when you were on the Bob Murphy show that you mentioned this as well. I've seen atheists act more Christ-like than actual Christians act Christ-like. You know, they, they learn that from somewhere. And you made that point in that show where it started with Christ. We didn't come up with this on our own. It started with Christ. Christ told us to love our enemy. Christ told us to love our neighbor. Nobody else was talking like that, were they? Not in that day that I can think of. And it was it was universal among the, the early church.
0: And it wasn't just what he taught, it's how he lived, you know? Because it's kinda like a performance artist, you know?
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Actions speak louder than words. So he would perform stuff to get the visuals so you would remember it better. Right. You know?
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's why he would
0: have, you know turn the other cheek and, and uh, you know, he would, you know, different things like walk a mi- walk another mile, you know, and that kind of stuff. Those are visuals rather than philo- philosophical uh, principles.
1: And I want to get into this too, as, as we go along, because we talk, we see so many people just stay so ingrained with politics entangled with us with politics and they think they can change things through politics. And I just don't buy that notion anymore. I used to, but I think this is so important because how are we going to change things through politics? I think you had it said it right in the Bob Murphy show when you said we had to change the heart. I think that's the gist of it. If we're going to try and fix this stuff, not being entangled with the state, we can change people's minds by exposing the state by loving our neighbor and loving our enemy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I
0: think I think that you know that that we get government because it's almost like a curse for when a society becomes decadent and stupid and it doesn't know how to police itself and, it, and then you get this demonic version of policing right. things, you know. So it's kind of like a chicken or the egg, what comes first, the corrupt authoritarian government that pollutes the minds of the public or the wickedness of the public that demands it. And I think ultimately the power of politics is the crowd. So it's ultimately the crowd is society. And therefore, if we're a part of that, we're playing a role. And, and, and if you're an anarchist, you might say, well, you know, I didn't vote for these people, but we're still a product of the culture. And they're a representation of the culture that we might be p- playing a role in. If you've ever seen, not to pick on the Libertarian Party or whatever, but some of the fights that those guys get into over who's going to be the librarian for the city meetings my god you know the it's like the stakes are so low but the but the aggression is so high what are you gonna do when you actually get an ounce of power exactly I mean if you guys are appointed the Surgeon general for the United States what are you gonna do then you know I mean you know, talking, bombing each other I mean goodness gracious
1: yeah nobody I don't know if anybody's harder on the LP than I am you know yeah I, I never I I just it's I agree when I first got into libertarian circles and I was like I said I just came from and I was still trying to be a neocon like we still got it like I would say things like Ted Cruz was saying we got to make the the sand glow you know I was still buying into that but I was getting into libertarian circles and trying and when I started to understand what they were talking about then I watched when they're all fighting with each other constantly constantly like there's no uniformity in that party whatsoever like the left, as much as I disagree with the left, they've kind of got it figured out as far as where they're going. And they're not going to lie to you about it. We're going to take all your stuff and we're going to do what we want with it regardless. And they're going to tell you to your face. The Republicans are going to do it too, but they're just not going to tell you. They're going to do it behind your back. You know, so they've, they've got their own little kind of way about doing things. And the LP is all over the place. And I was like, man, you guys are nuts. But in these libertarian circles, there's also anarchists. I was like, how these guys get involved here? Where do these guys come from? These people are nuts. And, and I say this all the time, too, if you could find an anarchist that was in a complete snark and have a conversation with them, you could learn some stuff from these folks. And it really started making sense to me and really kind of made me understand where I was at as far as my faith as well. No king but Christ. And that's how we we go with this, this podcast.
0: Well, the thing that's missing is the Jesus part, right? And, the thing, and my, my thing is libertarianism and all that anarchism and stuff. That's all like a supplement if you're not getting the real Christianity. You see what I mean? Right. right. So it's like if you're getting poor nutrition because you're not eating good, then you got to take supplements. <laughs> and so libertarianism and anarchism only exist because there's a malnourished form of Christianity that's dominant in the culture. Yeah. If the real Christianity would show back up, there would, no, there would not be a thing called libertarianism or anarchism because those are just incomplete parts of the picture of the Christian culture that has not been properly taught. Most people, when you bring up Jesus in their secular or whatever, they say, oh, you're preaching to me. You want me to convert? And they don't even know what they're talking about. They're talking about a completely different religion when the way they use and think about Jesus, they think about an eternal hellfire like Hades or something. That's Greek, you know, Neoplatonic religion or Gnosticism or something. It has nothing to do with the real Christianity. Most of the people's conception of Christianity is more about uh, Descartes rather than, you know, the Bible. I mean, Descartes was more about, I think, blank, therefore I am. I think this doctrine, therefore I am a Christian. I think this thing, therefore I am this. I think I'm Pentecostal, therefore I'm Christian. I think I'm Nazarene or Orthodox or Catholic, therefore I'm correct and I'm Christian. But that's a Cartesian approach. That's not a Christian approach, you know, a Cartesian approach. Is about rational, rationality and rationalism. And, you know, Christianity is not about observing. new. It, it's kind of like this. I tell people, you know, the way people are taught Jesus in America and much of the world is it's like telling a young African-American boy or girl, hey, you know, so here's the deal. I want you to know the story of Martin Luther King Jr. And here's how it works. You need to read the story of his life, and you need to believe in everything that we report that he did. And if you believe, then you will benefit from what he did in history. That doesn't make any sense. Because, you know, if you're living in 2021 America, you are benefiting from the effect of Martin Luther King, whether you know about him, whether you know he exists or not you're a baby, you never heard of him, you're still benefiting from the fact that you can drink from the same water fountain, right? So it has nothing to do with your mental assent about the facts of the man's life by which you get to partake in the reality of what he's done in your life. That's the same thing with Jesus and only on a bigger, you know, bigger grand scale of history. You know, we teach people like, well, Jesus affects you if you hear about his life and then you believe X, Y, and Z and only when you believe X, Y, and Z, which is the particular formula that your sect teaches that you have to believe, only when you believe that does he affect your life. And it's like, what? No, he's the king. Like you said, he's the king of the world. He's saving the world and you should imitate him. That's what it means to convert to Christ. It's to imitate him. It's to understand like Paul, Paul was on the road of sacrifice. He was headed back to sacrifice on behalf of his zeal for what he believed to be God. So he, in some sense, had a kind of like a Cartesian sense in the sense that he was willing to kill other people for some mental model about God that wasn't even real. God didn't want him to kill those people. So the God that he was serving didn't exist. And Jesus encounters him on the road to sacrificing somebody, you know. And Paul says that it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks which is actually kind of like, it was like a famous quote from a famous Greek play called the Bacchae that was very popular at the time. Because remember, Paul's telling this story of his conversion to a bunch of Greeks. So he's relating Jesus to their context by giving him a quote that Jesus basically is quoting Dionysus from the Bacchae. And Dionysus was the God of the crowd. He was the God of orgy and wine drinking and uh, violent crowds. And in the story of the Bacchae, uh, King Pentheus arrests Dionysus and puts him on trial, just like Jesus was put on trial by Pilate and Herod. But in the play, the Dionysus God says, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks, meaning you're putting me on trial like you're in charge here, but you're not. I'm in charge. I run the show and you can't escape because Kicking against the pricks is like the ox trying to kick off the yoke when he's on the harness of the the, uh, chariot or whatever. you know. So you can't get out. You can kick, but you can't get out. You're stuck. You're on, I'm in control. And that's what Dionysus tells King Pentheus in the Bacchae play. So Paul knows his Greek audience. He's relating to them. And he uses that quote from the Bacchae. And he puts Dionysus' words into the mouth of Jesus. And he says, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks, but it's the reversal of what Dionysus represented to the Greeks, because the Dionysian God represented the crowd's going to tear you apart, including you, Mr. King, because ultimately the crowd runs politics. And so Paul is basically redeeming Dionysus and bringing it back under the completion with Christ because he's saying, Paul, you can run, but you can't hide from my love. You see, he's not getting revenge. Paul's killing his people. Paul's killing people who were following and imitating Jesus. But instead of doing what Dionysus does, where he says, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. I'm going to kill you, King Pentheus. And at the end of the Bacchae play, he does. He tears, his followers tear King Pentheus limb limb to limb. In, In the Jesus story, of course, Paul stops tearing people apart by stoning people, like he was stoning Stephen. He ends the violence because it's hard to escape the power of Christ. And that's what Paul's saying. You know, he's, He's going into their mythic world the way they understand the world. They tell stories about gods to make sense of the world. And he's redeeming their own character and bringing it back to make it point back to Christ. And that's kind of where we're at, you know.
1: Hey, folks, Craig here. And I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors have no prior experience writing and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page and you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project. And we would love for you to join us and help promote it. Now back to the show. So, how do you think we get there? I mean, we talked about changing the heart and changing the culture to where the state becomes irrelevant. And you've mentioned this before. To, to make the state irrelevant, we have to change the heart and change the culture. How do we get there? By by, by imitating Christ, right? But how? Just to to get everybody in the, on that same page, you know, because you got a lot of Christians still running around with the state and being entangled with the state and. I've seen it a lot lately too with like the LPMC and anarchists getting back involved with with this stuff. It it, it confuses me. And it, to me, it confuses the message, so it's not consistent in what we're what we're talking about. No, when we say no king but Christ, we take first Samuel White very seriously when we say no king but Christ. And when you have Christian anarchists getting back involved with it, how are you changing the culture through the state? It just doesn't make sense to me. I don't know how you can I'm I'm a very black and white type person, so I don't see a lot of gray areas. So if, if it's it's got to be consistent, the message has to be consistent. Because if somebody's telling me something and then I see them acting a different way, I'm gonna call BS. I'm not I'm I'm just gonna be like I'm not gonna start following that message because you're not even sta- you're not even living what you're telling me. And that's just when I said I'm I'm probably one of the most hard people on the LP because of stuff like this. And I don't know how you, where you land on this, and this is. Me being very just like strict in my understanding of Christianity, I don't want to, I've almost gotten to the point where I'm not going to call myself an anarchist. I'm just going to call myself a Christian. Because to me, that seems more powerful when people ask me, why don't you get involved with the state? Because I'm a Christian. And I've had people tell me that you shouldn't act like that. Why? Jesus wasn't involved with the state. Are we not going to imitate Jesus Christ as Christians? The early church? was it was universal among them. If you have read stuff like from Tertullian and Origin and Polycarp, these folks had no interest in what the state was doing. And they were total snarks when before they were going to kill Polycarp. To me, when he said, We are taught, we're taught to honor the government, and I'm paraphrasing, unless they do us no harm. Can you name anything the state does that doesn't harm somebody somewhere in some fashion? To me that was a final jab before they murdered him. You, you know what I'm saying? And and I think that's uh when Jesus, when, when he says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. To me, he was being a snark. Nothing belongs to Caesar. Let's be honest. It all belongs to God. So getting back to what I was saying, how do we get there? Because the, to me, the message has to stay consistent. If people are going to latch on what we're talking about, no king but Christ. We follow Jesus. We don't follow the state. We have to stay that course. Otherwise, they were called BS and they're going to go back and be entangled with that stuff because they're trying to, they're trying to find consistency and they're trying to find consistency through the state, which is garbage. That's not going to happen. But God can
0: use, you know, that Persian King, he used him for, what was it? Cyrus. To, he said he was a great King. So it doesn't mean that that's his preference that we do that, but still good things can come in the midst of those evil institutions. Did you, would you agree with that, right? I mean, I, I would, like, I, like it can move the ball forward even if it's not as much as we sh- would want and it doesn't mean we should all get involved in politics. But it's kind of like there's a sc- there could be a school teacher that goes to a public school that teaches people, you know, about Austrian school economics, but that's probably not the ideal path to teach Austrian economics, you know. But if a kid is impacted by that teacher, even if it's a fundamentally flawed and, rotten way of doing schooling, they're still good at it. For example, you could go to, I mean, it's an extreme example, but it's like people get arrested and they get put in the um, concentration camps during Hitler's Germany. And maybe they make a best friend there that they keep for life once they get out. I mean, that's a beautiful thing, even though the circumstances shouldn't have been that way, but it's still beautiful things could come out of it. Right. And that's the paradox of living in the world, but not of the world, right? Is that we can live in the world. And I agree with you that running for office is probably the, not the, not the biggest priority or it shouldn't be, it could, it actually could be going against the interest of what we want to achieve. But for example, like when they're wanting to do mandates for getting into food and restaurants and stuff for products. Some people might feel the need to vote for someone who would actually stop that stuff because it's an act of self-defense to protect their children. They don't want to have
1: a I productive. understand. I yeah. understand that allure. I, I understand it. I mean, I, I I know where they're coming from because I was there. I understand it, but I also understand what the end goal, what what, what happens in the end, though. Now, as as liberty-minded folks, like I know you are, like uh, everybody, the majority of folks who probably listen to this show are, and listen to your show are. I understand why they think we can change things or gain more liberty by voting for the right person. I understand that, that, that logic, but I don't think it works that way. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I wrote an article talking about the violence and voting, you know, so. But, I, but I've, tried to, I've tried to not be as dogmatic. I used to be dogmatic about it, that it's an act of violence to vote on most situations. I don't think, like, if you voted for Ron Paul, I don't think that was an act of violence because he was, he was trying to negate stuff. I think that was sending in a prophet to negate violence.
1: Right. And I'm a big fan of Ron Paul. I mean, I wasn't back then. I thought he was crazy and he wasn't supporting our troops. He was unpatriotic. I, I didn't get to the Liberty Movement through Ron Paul. It just happened because I woke up one day. And then when I learned about Ron Paul, I was like, oh, this guy had it going on back then. I was booing him off the stage. You know, but the mentality that I, that I hear, people have said this to me, we need to get the right politicians in so we can legalize more liberty. And I'm like, dude, did you not hear what just came out of your mouth? You want to legalize liberty? You've already got liberty. And you're trying to, to me, that sounds like you're asking for permission. And that's not what they do. You could get, Ron Paul could be be running for president every year, but you're not going to gain liberty through Ron Paul. And you talk about when we get away from that and and change the culture and change the, the heart.
0: That's the focus I have. I mean, so, so a few specific examples. You said, okay, what do we do, right? How do we do that? So a few examples that I give people is, one, you got to imitate Jesus. So first of all, what is it? Let me give you the question. What does it look like to imitate Jesus in the way that we're talking about? What does that look like?
1: All right, so I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not good at theology. Like, it goes over my head. So I keep it very basic when it comes to this. When Jesus said, love your neighbor, I try to love my neighbor. When Jesus says love your enemy, that's difficult to do, but I try to love my enemy. And if I leap to me, everything after that will fall into place. If we love each other, if we support each other, if we help each other, everything else will fall into place. And in my this is maybe I'm maybe I'm living in a unicorn world. I don't know. But to me, that's how you do it. You love your neighbor, you love your enemy, and then all the other stuff that we're worried about will just fall into place.
0: So is love an attitude or a disposition or an action in that context?
1: It's an action. You have to, you have to show it in acts, like you said earlier. Act, the actions speak louder than words. You can't you walk up to somebody and say, I love you. What is that? That could be empty if you're not showing it with your actions.
0: So how do we love our neighbor who wants you to wear a three mask and get your booster every six months to be able to go and get food for your kids and they want it in your kids? Well, I didn't
1: say it was gonna be easy. <laughs>
0: So tell me, how do we love that one? What would you think? You meet that person, and you got to and you got to hang out with them like it's the movie, it's the show, Big Brother. You got to live in the house with those guys.
1: This is why I don't watch for reality lunch. TV. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I don't even uh, watch it. I just see the thing. I don't even know the rules, but they they have to hang out in the house and to live together. How would you learn to love someone like that? Because that's basically what we've got to figure out. They want to they want to force medicate you. They want to shame you for your gender. And want you to hate yourself because of your toxic whiteness or whatever.
1: This is what I started doing with folks like that, okay so instead of and I, I debate on you know on social media like a lot of people do, but what I have started doing with folks like that is I started asking them questions and even in person when the, when they want to force you to have a vaccine, they're not using the word force all the time and so I'll ask them that question should we be people be forced to do that? and when they think about it like, well, not forced, but they should be pushed. This is what I'm hearing. They should be pushed in that direction. Well, who's going to do the pushing? Well, by like uh, vaccine passports. Well, who's enforcing that passport? There's force behind all of this. You could call it pushing, but it's still forced. But you just said you don't think people should be forced to do it. And you get them down to that level and you get them to understand they don't want to be forced to do things they don't want to do. You know what I'm saying. Nobody wants to be forced to do that, to do anything that against their will. I don't. I don't think they, deep down, really want that. Maybe some people do, but in it's I just don't. I just don't see it. So no, I don't know how we get there. <laughs> and loving your enemy is difficult.
0: Well, so there, here's some some specific examples we can give to give people because those are all good. But let's let's try to get in some more strategy about how, how does imitating Jesus, because it sounds very abstract to say, we all just got to love each other and then somehow it'll fix it magically or something. That does make, that makes sense, does it? We say it and we're like, how does that actually connect? Well, here's how it might connect. What did Jesus do most of the time? You know, he was healing people.
1: Right. But did you know, did you notice when Jesus was, was talking to these folks too, he was also, when, when they would ask him questions, he would return, ask them a question. Right. And a lot of times these folks will just walk away and they're thinking.
0: Right. So he gets them to think. He's not that's a great point. So there, there's another thing to add. So first, you can't hit people over with a nap and stuff like that. You gotta get people to think and get them to wrestle with these questions and, and to mull them over and, and 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 wrestle with paradox, which is something that we don't see the uh the McWoke crowd doesn't know much about paradox yet. <laughs> <laughs> um they're very black and white, you know. And uh, except uh, they wouldn't like that word. They would say that's uh, (laughs) offensive to to frame it like that. But, uh, But one of the things we can do is we can heal. So we're supposed to be the body of Christ on earth. So if you're the body of Christ and you're looking around, you're like, okay, what did he do while he was on earth? He was healing people a lot. So let's start healing people. Because it turns out one of the big pressure points by which people still put their abiding faith and trust in the state, as we've painfully learned in the last year or two, is health care and medicine. So what we have to do is find the cures for cancer, the diabetes, the, the diseases, both the acute ones like we're dealing with now, the infectious ones, but the chronic ones, which are the bigger problem.
1: I like where you're going with this because I was going to I was going to tie this into the conversation somehow. And, and I didn't know how we were going to, but you're doing it fantastically right now. Keep going.
0: So the thing is, is like that's that's an example of what it means to imitate Jesus, because we think, OK, when you hear about someone telling you on a podcast, all right, the key is don't vote. Let them destroy you and just be loving in Jesus. And they are like, come on. But no, but look at what it actually looks like. If you're going to imitate Jesus, he was a master healer most of the time was what he was doing as his actions. So go and heal the diseases because so many people are dependent on the state because of Medicaid and Medicare and they want universal health care and insurance and all these different things they've got going on. And then you've got nutrition science, which is monopolized by the state and they've been getting it wrong and getting you deadly wrong advice for decades and decades and decades. I mean, everybody we know, everybody we know have suffered horrific diseases. If you're in America, you know somebody, and they're everywhere. Great-grandma, grandma, uncle, aunt, mom, dad, brother, sister, whoever. If you live long enough, you're going to get these horrible diseases that are caused by our government's misinformation and disinformation about nutrition. So start with nutrition. Let food be thy medicine Hippocrates said, so you start there, and you start teaching people the truth about food. And it turns out the scientists and the doctors I talked to believe that perhaps ninety percent of the chronic diseases in the last century would have been eradicated if we had eaten the same crap, but just got rid of one variable: the vegetable oils. And that turns out there's a better way to make those things. We're gonna have to figure out recipes without seed oils. With and you know, and then you got you've got these. Um, You know, whipped olive oil might work, you know? I don't
1: know. Hey, folks. Craig here again. As you know, this project is completely self-funded by me, and all profits go straight to charities here in Memphis. If you have a blog, a podcast, or a product that you would like to advertise on the Bad Roman Podcast, the first 15 folks to sign up for four ad spots with us will get a fifth spot for free. Visit thebadroman.com slash ads. I'm so happy how this project has grown, and thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the conversation. So I was going to ask you this too, because a while, a long time ago, and it's been a few years, my doctor told me to stop using vegetable oil and start using olive oil to cook with. If I cook anything, if I'm gonna, you know, cook anything, I use olive oil now. But I've heard you mention too, you also have to be careful about the olive oil.
0: Yeah, because some of them are adulterated and it, and they don't la- they don't put it on the label because they've got some shady whatever. But that's the tricky thing with olive oil. You know, I, I heard that the California olive oils are pretty pure, but they're expensive. I don't, I can, I cook with butter, coconut oil, beef tallow. And then like, if I was going, I don't have stuff like this. I don't make this kind of stuff. But I guess you could use like a, you could make up your own mayonnaise with olive oil or avocado oil or something. To-
1: oh, so I, if I use mayonnaise, I, I thought I was doing good by getting this olive oil mayonnaise. And then then you turn it over. I know I did this after listening to you, and I turned over. I've I've got it in my refrigerator right now, and I went and looked at the ingredients. Like, oh, it's got vegetable (laughs) oil
0: in it. That's how they trick you, though, because it'll say, just like it'll say made with avocado oil. And they know that the consumer thinks made with means that's all it's made with. Right. But that's the selective marketing tech. You turn it over, first ingredient, soybean oil, second ingredient, you know, Canola oil, third ingredient, avocado Okay, it was made with it. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: You put that crap in with a bunch of poison, thanks.
1: Is that like dying with COVID and not of COVID? Exactly, yeah.
0: <laughs> but so 90% of our diseases could be solved, possibly, these chronic illnesses in terms of the rate of occurrence. Heart disease, cancer, diabetes, it's chronic diseases. And a lot of the autoimmune disorders are caused by the vegetable oil consumption. It turns out that people who tend to gain fat, so the guys who get a little chubby, because they eat the same pizzas and everything and Taco Bell that's got seed oil in it. And then their friends are the skinny kids. And they say, hey, you eat too much. And it's like, "No, I ate the same much you did, buddy. You know, and it's like, what's going on? Why is it that some people, some people's body expresses a reaction to vegetable oils by your body doesn't want to burn it for fuel. Because it does stuff, it's like running bad fuel in your engine, it's gonna run, blow up the different pieces of the machine. So you don't want to run the fuel. So your body will store it on the shelf, which are people who are more likely to be obese from eating these things. But people who are more likely to be, remain thin are more likely to have autoimmune disorders because the burning of the vegetable oils for fuel causes auto, autoimmune disorders to sometimes arise. See? So it's interesting. That was Dr. Kate Shanahan that told me that. She's a medical doctor that's really into this. And she's a New York Times best-selling uh, nutrition researcher. But... Um, My point in saying that, just to get back to the Jesus tie-in, is that if we could eliminate 90% of these chronic illnesses, that would be a revolution if that was done from people in the marketplace of ideas, and the real marketplace, and Christian churches. What if churches were teaching you about this? What if Wednesday night service was teaching you, this is what's happening with diabetes. This is what you can replace these foods with. Here are common ingredients. Look at your spice rack, canola oil on, on the spice. What? It's in there sometimes? Yes. Stay away from it. You've been eating it for decades. It's bioaccumulating in your body. It's destroying your mitochondria. It's also linked to mental health problems. We got Chris Palmer, Harvard psychiatrist. He gets people on th- therapeutic ketosis, which is a way of reducing a lot of your access to seed oil products. And he says people are getting rid of bipolar disorder and schizophrenia and depression. I mean, how many people are going around right now with mental problems because of this government trauma and all the problems from their childhood and what have you, and many of these things could be resolved by a proper diet, Or at least reduced. They showed studies that in prison populations, when so they reduced their Omega-6 consumption, it reduced their antisocial violent tendencies amongst the population. So imagine, just here's one thing. We just started, I said, what's one thing that we could do to imitate Jesus? Heal your neighbor. So, you can't, maybe you can't put mud on his eyes, but you can take 20 minutes to teach him about seed oils and heal his diabetes in the name of Jesus. So that when he gets COVID, he ain't going to have a hard time with it. So he's not going to get on a ventilator. You got to think strategically. You know, that's the way we need to be thinking right now. Because here's the thing not only is it good in and of itself to heal a life, but also a society that wakes up to the reality that much of what government said, not just about COVID, but about heart disease and cancer and diabetes and every one of these freaking things was the exact opposite of what you needed to do. At some point, even the most diehard Hillary Clinton type, you know, neoliberal TV party member who watches CNN without any skepticism, at at some point when they start seeing their neighbors, wait a second, you don't have heart disease, what are you doing? Wait a second, you don't have cancers in your family? What'd you do? Oh, we're not eating seed oils, we're not eating these other things. Cause there's some other things too, but it seems to be that's the big elephant in the room, because people were eating lots of sugar, and they were eating lots of carbs even. And I'm not a big fan of a lot of the carbs because they're inflammatory and stuff too. And, and they can, they you add seed oils plus carbs, you're in a real world of hurt. And the problem also with the vegetable oils is that it's in it's in our pork and chicken fat. See, so they feed these these pork these pigs and chicken corn and soy feed. They didn't used to feed them these things. That's not how they were traditionally raised. And so their fat profile is very high in PUFA, which is the vegetable oil, the linoleic acid. You know, They've actually bred out the pig. They use pigs that can't even gain natural uh, fat on their own body through what they eat. They have to get this supplement from the high-level linoleic acid seed oil type corn and soy stuff to get them to get this artificial extra layer of fat on them. And uh, it's very greasy. That's why pork is prone to having Contamination issues because it's a very inflammatory, a very unstable fat. This vegetable oil type fat.
1: Yeah, you broke my heart on one of your shows when you mentioned uh, bacon. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, because I, I never really, I never knew that about what you just mentioned about what they're feeding these animals that we're eating.
0: Yeah,
1: I never thought about that, and it, I'm a huge.
0: You can get beef bacon. It's a little expensive. I mean, I'm
1: willing to pay for it if it's if it's more healthy. What is PUFA? And I've heard you mention this.
0: PUFA is polyunsaturated fatty acids. That's the, so there's three types of fats. There's saturated fat, which is dominant in things like you know animal fats that are raised right, or like cows, because they have they a have multiple chamber stomach. So you give them the corn and soy, and they, they, they're able in their multiple chambers to turn it into saturated fat and monounsaturated fat, which is the fats you want to eat. You want to avoid the high PUFA fat polyunsaturated fatty acids, is, it's an unstable fat. It's not meant to be used as a fuel source. It's meant to be a signaling molecule in your body. It's like, it's, like it's, it's this unnatural seed oil that was never meant to be used for human consumption at the rate we're eating it. Like five tablespoons of corn oil is the equivalent of 96 ears of corn. So you know what I mean? Like you, you would never eat 96 ears of corn, but you can in one meal have five tablespoons of corn oil at a, at a restaurant cooked meal. Because they cook your veggies, they cook your green beans in the oil. They cook it, you know. They throw your steak. They slather canola oil on both sides, brush it, and throw it on the grill. Then you got your bread roll. It's got canola oil, or you know. And then you get the 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 butter. They'll swear it's butter, but it's got half canola oil. So you've just you've probably had more than five tablespoons. So it's a it's a Frankenstein food. It was an industrial waste product. It's toxic, but they figure out ways to deodorize it and And to mask it make it look good. And uh, they got hell-bent on attacking animal fats with Ansel Keys. And the government got on board with it. And that's where nutrition science went. And that's why heart attacks have been going up. And cancers have been going up. And diabetes have been going up in the last century. This variable could could change the world. Because once you understand, think about it. When you understand, it's one thing with the COVID thing, because it's hard to know some people got the vax, they get sick. Some people didn't get the vax, they get sick. You know what I mean? Some people had a milder case. Some people have a hard case. It's hard to kind of see what's really going on. But when you find out, wait a second, this guy's been eating no seed oils his whole life. Not many people have, by the way, because it's just something we're realizing, right? So most of us grew up with decades of seed oil consumption. And people say, well, I don't cook with vegetable oils. Well, that doesn't mean you're not getting lots of it. If you eat out at restaurants, if you eat out of beef patties, they you know they throw those. Some people are doing keto or carnivore, and they eat those beef patties, and they're sprayed on the grill with a soybean oil, Pam or whatever. And it's, in, and it's in the cookies, it's in crackers, it's in a lot of ice cream brands. You gotta check the labels. You know, you you look at one Haagen Dazs, it says cream sugar, you know, cane sugar cream, uh, you know. Then you look at the Ben and Jerry's next to it, canola oil, first ingredient or second ingredient, you know? So not all cheat meals are equal, you know what I mean? If you're going to have a delicious time, you know, it's better to eat the sugar without the seed oils than to eat the seed oils plus the sugar and carbs. Um, But this is a renaissance way that can really save a lot of people's minds and bodies because they're going to say, wait a second, if they were so deadly wrong about all these things, I've got to stop putting all my faith in them, and I certainly am not going to be championing some single-payer health care. I say it this way. Single-payer health care can't fix what single-payer nutrition science broke, right? Because that's what we've had. We've had single-payer nutrition science where government monopolizes all the funding for research dollars and grants for what people are going to study, and the universities are using tax dollars. Harvard's lying. <laughs> They're all putting out a bunch of misinformation because they have political agendas. They have an anti-meat agenda. And the reason why they have an anti-meat agenda is because they're haunted by the cross and they don't know what to do with that guilt. They feel, they feel guilty that they voted for people like Hillary Clinton and Biden after 50 years of them bombing people of color around the world. So they want to offset that guilt by saying, I'm eating an impossible burger. That makes me better than the slob over there who's eating a beef patty. It's like, no, it doesn't take away your guilt, buddy. It doesn't. (laughs) These vegetarian foods actually kill more animals because these monocrop cultures they do to get these corn oil and all this stuff. I mean, those giant fields of corn, they displace tons of woodland animals. They kill foxes and toads and birds and voles and moles. And, you know, I mean, the, 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 the amount of animal life that has to be murdered every year for the average vegan to maintain their decadent lifestyle is obscene. So that's the problem, is that people have a lot of guilt because they're haunted by victims, as I started off the show talking about. And that's why they're hell-bent on eliminating not one animal must die, but that's not true. Just like you said, oh, we're going to go off to Afghanistan war because we're going to save the kids and give everybody feminism, but that's not true. That's a myth, you know, and it's a myth that you're going to be to save animals' lives by going to a plant-based diet or whatever. But that kind of nonsense pervades the state. So here's the thing. If we solve that problem, that's going to open up the hearts and minds for millions and millions of people, potentially billions if you think about the world impact of that. The other thing we need to do is we need to create technology that brings scarcity into closer proximity of us for us to defeat. Here's what I mean by that. The story of the fishes and the loaves. That's a story I think is a prophetic story that we're meant to imitate in real history, which is Jesus takes his kids' fishes and loaves. He doesn't cut each fish and piece of bread into a little crumb so everybody gets a piece. No, he breaks the boundaries of scarcity and he, he avoids conflict over scarce resources, and everybody in the crowd is fed. And I believe that's a prophetic picture about what we as imitators of him are to do in history, which means we need to create energy too cheap to meter. We need to create low temperature nuclear energy. We need to create 24-7 solar panels. We need to create uh, elemental transmutation. And all these things I'm talking about are real things. That's why I said them. They're all things that I've encountered with different people and technologists in my show, in my research, who are doing these types of things. Nuclear energy at room temperature is being done and developed. Has no taxpayer dollars behind it, pretty much. So that's why it doesn't get the kind of fanfare that other forms of clean energy get. Number two, you know, elemental transmutation. People are finding out ways in which they can create rare earth elements at room temperature. These are very pioneering things. There needs to be more research into these fields. Three, 24-7 panels. So you don't have to rely on intermittent sun exposure. That you could have panels around your house, on your laptop, on your TV that are harvesting intermittent energy, including infrared energy, so it's not dependent on direct sun exposure. It could be getting energy 24-7, self-contained, no moving parts. These are just three things. I mean, there's a, th- there's a ton of stuff, but here's just three things that if we worked on this, imagine that your HOA had a little safe, low-temperature nuclear cold fusion reactor. This isn't something that's going to be like Fukushima. It's room temperature. That's what causes the explosion. There's no high pressure, you know, millions, of, you know. So imagine you've got this thing and it's running off of ocean water or something, you know. And so you're just running it and it powers your HOA. You don't have to worry about the grid. Or you could power your little commune if you want to be a pork fest or something, you know. You have fun. You have a good time. You know, you, you power whatever you want. Self-contained energy. I'm not talking about perpetual motion machines. I'm saying these are real things that have tremendous ability to kind of disrupt if you don't want to be a part of the Middle Eastern oil campaign, dollar for oil deal. If you don't want to be a part of solar panels and wind farms like the Green New Deal, you can look at technologies that can be developed that helps alleviate scarcity. Because that's, again, what I'm trying to say is two narratives that the state keeps funneling people to depend on them and worship them is, the planet is dying. We alone can save you. So if Christians come up and say, hey, actually, no, this guy did room temperature nuclear energy. We're good. Sorry, we don't need you. You're like, what? what? Oh, but wait a second. We've got wind farms. They're like, no, dude, we're good. Like, do you see how beautiful our lights are? Everything's powered very nicely here. Thank you. And everybody knows about it. So you can't suppress it because the internet and the technology's out there. You know what I mean? And it's affordable. And it doesn't need taxpayer dollars to make, you know? So you you neutralize, you outcompete the state because their their whole formula is they look for pressure points in people where they say, we alone can save you. So healthcare is a big one of them. Big one. That's huge. That's the big primordial one. That's why they've had such success with this thing so far. Because when people feel like their family's in threat, they'll do anything. That's what Australia is doing right now. They have to Put a mask on to drink a beer. They can't go outside. I mean, they're sitting like they're in pound puppies or something, you know. And they're sitting there. Where's Crocodile Dundee? Where are the people in Australia to fight back? Well, they've they've had a long time of of learned helplessness, learned submissiveness. So we need to we need to outcompete the states' phony solutions to the problems that they've held us back from solving. Because that's the whole point that Jesus is saying. The reason why he says. God desires mercy, not sacrifice, because sacrifice is a stupid way of solving problems. Sacrifice doesn't work, especially after Jesus unveiled it and broke it, and now it doesn't unify us anymore. So that kind of goes back to the anthropology, which we haven't touched on today. But just briefly, this, the idea that ancient societies bound themselves together. You know, the word religion means to bind together. And ancient societies bound themselves together based on a shared sacrificial victim, based on someone they could blame as the cause of their community's bad blood or poor crop or famine or plague or locusts. And so Jesus broke that and he said, no, that's not how it's going to be run. You're going to have to solve problems, rolling up your sleeves, healing your neighbor, loving your enemy, taking care of things. That's where science comes from. Because science could only happen in a society that had been haunted by the story of Christ and slowly but surely, because it doesn't happen overnight, obviously the church fell into a lot of persecution problems. But as you said, very for the early church was pretty strong for a while on this message. If we recover that dynamism and that wonder we need to have, because remember Jesus said, such is the kingdom of these, the children represent the kingdom of heaven. And what are children like? They're creative. They're imaginative. They have hope and wonder in their hearts. They're freely loving. That's how you and I, that's how we should be. We should have hope. We should have that childlike wonder about, hey, what can we see in the world? What can we do? That's what will save the world. Because when you think, hey, wait a second, what can I do to create energy? What can I do to to, to heal? I don't know about all the seed oil thing, but let me focus on one thing, diabetes, or one thing. Alzheimer's are one thing and start learning and don't just assume that these institutions that have been presiding over our slow decline in health have anything to say on the matter. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't listen to his institutions. That's why they crucified him. And you will be socially crucified probably if you rock the boat too hard, but it doesn't matter if the people get the truth, eventually it wins. We need to think like Nikola Tesla That's what it means to imitate Jesus. Nikola Tesla did not go and run for office or try to create a political action committee to try to lobby Congress to pass a bill to get his alternating current form of electricity adapted. He just went and did it. And he went with market capitalists. And yes, they were kind of shady, but it ended up being adapted by the world. And we're benefiting benefiting from it right now. That's how real Christians change the world. Like the Wright brothers, you get up and you frickin' fly. That's childlike wonder. That's what the world loved about America, is because at its best, it captured that childlike wonder of no matter who you are, whether you're poor or you're from another country or a different race, that you can show up with childlike wonder and hope and put the skin in the game and dare to challenge orthodoxy. And make things happen. And then it has this reverberating worldwide flow from there. That's what churches should be teaching and equipping their people to do. But they're afraid. So they stay in their lane. I don't want to talk about low temperature nuclear energy. I looked it up and they said that's quacky stuff. No, it's not. It's real. And even the mainstream media says it's real. I don't want to talk about seed oils. My friend, who's the deacon of our church, he works at a company that makes those things or, you know, he works at a restaurant that puts it in there, you know. So it's like they're afraid they're too political. They, you, know, they don't, they, you know, they're trying not to be political, but they're too political because they need to be able to go in there and say, look, look let's look at the facts. Let's, work, let's imitate Jesus in our heart, soul, and body. Our whole mind should be used. Our whole mind should be love your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, the whole thing. So your mind should be fully involved in that. And if it is, that's what we do. So we do healing. We get the technologies that alleviate scarcity, and that outcompetes the state's claim on being the monopoly for all the big things people are scared about. And then the other thing we do is that we tell the story of victims around us. We tell the story of victims around us. And that means instead of trying to persuade people about, uh, you know, Enlightenment philosophy, that's fine if you like that, but most people aren't going to be moved by that, but you can tell the story. You can tell the story of Erwin Schiff, who was chained to his hospital bed because of writing books about how to not pay taxes. An elderly man chained to his bed while he's dying of cancer and moved far away from his family so that they couldn't see him very easily as he withered in that condition. And you say to yourself, who, what kind of a society cages an elderly man for this kind of thing? You know, that's performing false witness at its core. Because actions speak louder than words. And you didn't have to say anything. You didn't have to call that man a name. But if you chain him to a bed, you treat him like he's a violent man. I mean, what's the worst the state can say? Well, he was greedy. He didn't give his wealth to us. Well, what's he going to do if you let him out if he's sick? Is he not going to tip his waitress? I mean, there's no, there's, no, there's no violent history here. You see what I mean? If someone murders someone, there's an idea where you can say, okay, I'm not, not going to get into prisons right now, but there's a There's an argument for why you would have them have a timeout, okay? They just murdered somebody. You can't just say, oh, hey, try not to do that again because they might go do it again. So you need to have a timeout space. But there's no violence. There's no victim. There's no crime. Why is this person being caged in a dehumanizing way because of a political issue, political crime? And so you get people to tell the stories of victims like that. So maybe you know somebody who's been arrested for a drug crime. Maybe you know somebody who was arrested for raw milk. Maybe you have them on your show. Or maybe you take a video and you interview their kids and you say, what was life like when you didn't see daddy? Oh, I cried every night. I can't stand it. I have nightmares. I can't study in school. My school's going down. I used to be the star basketball player. Now I'm not. You tell people's human stories and then you tie it back into the reality that they are wrongly scapegoated by this machine. And what happens is when you do that, that's what I call the gospel technology because it has a way of opening up eyes to see things that for people that couldn't see it before. That's how art works. It's kind of like a technology that unlocks an awakening that makes people change their appetite to keep doing it. Because once they see, oh, that's what the drug war looks like, Those kids' tears are what the drug war looks like in reality? Or that's what happens when you, you know, cage people for raw milk? Whoa. They put guns to people's faces while they're squeezing an udder? Whoa. I didn't even think about it. Most people just out of sight, out of mind. So the gospel technology is about telling people stories, whether it's in podcasts, a Facebook post, uh, you know, bringing them to your church, whatever it is, Tell the story of victims because that's what the gospels did to change the world. The gospels told the story of a wrongfully persecuted person, and it told it from his vantage point, not the vantage point of the people who were persecuting him and slandering him and making him look like a criminal. So you you literally imitate that. They used the text; they wrote it down. You can write it. You can do audio. You can do video. You can do a live cam. Do whatever you got to do. Tell people stories. That is the three things that I give people as homework to imitate Jesus. Heal your neighbors with introduction about the truth, about medicine and and nutrition. Two, heal the scarcity that solves the energy problem and the choke point that the state uses to gain power over the fear of Green New Deal or lack of access to Middle Eastern oil. And three, tell the victim stories, because that's what the gospels do about Jesus' story to change the world.
1: I love that. I love that man, and I think you said something very important during all of that. When you said focus on one thing, because I think we can overload our brain by trying to fix everything. But it's we don't have to fix everything. We need to maybe focus on one thing, and then somebody else focuses on another thing, and that's how we, like you said, help people. I think this is perfect. I think this is exact. This is how we change a culture, how we change the heart is we heal our neighbor. And when you first said that, people are going to first think we're going to heal them by met with medicine. Yes, food, <laughs> food medicine, you know, and I think that's perfect. And I think that's how we do this. And it sounds daunting, but I think it's possible. I mean, Jesus did it. His his followers did it, you know, I mean.
0: He said you'll do greater things than him, you know. So, I mean, I, was he joking? Was he joking?
1: No, it's crazy. To, no, but it's crazy to even think that, you know, just greater than things than Jesus. Come on. But he said it. If he says it, I believe him. So let's let's do that. And I know you got to get going because you've got something else to prepare for and David I really appreciate this I want to get you back on sometime because I feel like I could talk to you for days and, you know I love your show I love listening to everything you got going on with that you' you you're, you're a great voice for liberty your great voice for uh christianity and I, I hope you just keep plugging along and know that people out there listening to you and my mom when she was in town i I had had you on the, on in my truck and she'd never heard of you before and she was listening and she's like yep yep yeah. <laughs> she was, she was all about what you had to say. And it was, it was pretty cool. So go ahead and plug whatever you want to plug and I'll let you get out of here so you can go do what you got to do.
0: Well, I'd like to plug you. Thank you for having me on your show, man. I really appreciate it. And, uh, I really enjoy this discussion. And, uh, if you guys want to go to my website, it's a neighborschoice.com. That's a letter a neighborschoice.com. And you can email me. Hello at a If you want to get in touch. As we mentioned, my podcast, if you search for David Gernosky on most podcast platforms, it'll pull it up. And uh, I'm on Rumble live stream and I'm on YouTube, but I mean, I don't know. I'm on strike too. So one more strike and they're going to delete me.
1: Yeah. We'll see how long that (laughs) lasts.
0: Can you imagine YouTube doesn't want to hear a message? I mean, we have people call in from prison all the time and YouTube wants to censor their voices. We have a very, uh, we have people of color, African-Americans, Hispanic women, all kinds of people calling into my show, asking for clemency. Many of the ones that ask for clemency on my show is one of the few shows that would even have some of these people on. And then they tell me they're, they're woke, huh? What are they woke to? They're woke to keeping people rotting in prison for nonviolent crimes. Cause that's what we provide. They're not doing that.
1: That's it. That's it. <laughs> all right, buddy, I'm gonna let you get out of here and go prepare what you got to do. Really would like to have you on again sometime. Anytime. Yeah. Good stuff, man.
0: All right. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about the Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com.